The Diamondbacks have surged back into the National League wildcard race, winning five of their last six games against the Padres and the Rangers in impressive fashion. We'll talk about their recent play, highlight some notable rookie pitching performances, if Corbin Carroll can hold on to his lead on the Rookie of the Year award, and then close out with a quick preview of a pivotal series coming up at Chase Field as the Reds visit the Diamondbacks on today's episode of Snakes on the Diamond. Hello, everyone. I hope you are having a good week. Diamondbacks certainly have, as I mentioned, nine of their last 11 games. They have won four consecutive series. So anyways, I am Mike McDermott. I write for Fan Nations Inside the Diamondbacks on Sports Illustrated, part of the beat for that publication. And follow me on Twitter at MikeMcDMLB. Joining me today is Wes Beyer, our Everyone's favorite co-host. So, Wes, how are you doing today? I'm I'm okay. I mean, it's uh, another day in paradise. Different cliche, but D-backs are back in it. Um, okay, I mean, like, you're pretty if you're a D-back fan, you're pretty happy right now. So you look at their last six games. It was a must take three of four in San Diego. They did that. They swept the doubleheader at the end. Squeaked out of the first game, but in the second game, they knocked down the Padres 8-1 to in a probably the first time they've had a, you could say, a laugher in over a month where they just annihilated yeah. the team. Then we go into the Rangers yeah. series. First game trailing one nothing in the ninth inning, they meant, and then 3-1 and going into the bottom of the 11th inning, they found a way to win that game. That ended up being a huge win, and then... After the come-from-behind win, they rode their ace, Zach Gallen, to who had 11 strikeouts and kept the Rangers uh, confused for six innings in a 6-3 win. So how how impressive have the D-backs been playing of late in your mind? Well, I mean, you can't – at this point, it, you can't ask for, like, much better than what they've done. They've done exactly what they need to. to like, they did what we talked about. Like, we were talking about this, like, you know – two weeks ago like hey they, they just need to get some momentum going they win some series yeah they didn't you know immediately you know sweep any game they just did with the rangers but uh they built momentum they've gotten themselves really back in the race uh they're going into uh, a series with a game that they're only uh was it they're half game back from the reds yeah the reds are half game ahead i think they might have one more win i'll double check we'll pull up the standings yeah, they Short have order. one more win. They're 67-61. The D-backs are 66-61. and 61. So they're five games over 500. I remember, like, they... Uh, if we go back to, like, a little over a week ago, they were they were game under 500, which it looked like the season was over. So, um, I mean, this is... Greg Gallon striking out 10. That was, uh, like, especially impressive this day and age. You know, you don't see guys rack up strikeouts like you used to, but Gallon is one of them that still does. And we'll probably bring we'll probably talk about the Cy Young in a future episode, but pulling up the standings here. And we're just gonna take the top six. Jack wrote an article today about and this was inspired by Luke Lipinski on Wolf and Luke that the top six teams in the wildcard race you can treat almost like a division. You say so. The D-backs are three games behind the top team in Philadelphia and then half a game back behind Cincinnati and Chicago. They control their destiny for Cincinnati and Chicago, at least, with 11 of the 13 games they have against wildcard contenders against those two. And, of course, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Of course, the Reds have a worse run differential than Diamondbacks, but then again, the Padres have a better run differential than every team on here except the Cubs. But that's just baseball sometimes. The Phillies so kind of, have an easy, easy schedule ahead of them. It's basically for the next week they play the Cardinals and the Angels. <laughs> uh, they have a, you know some games against the the Brewers, but then they play the Padres. Uh, Mar- I mean, they actually have a relatively easy schedule. Although they finish out uh, the year like pretty much like some some tough teams, but it's going to be very hard to gain ground. In the- on the Phillies. I'm really worried about that. Certainly, we, yeah, we control our destiny. We play both teams ahead of us. Um, if we can take those series, I, I think we're in a really, really good, uh, a good position to make the, 
the playoffs. And we'll talk about the Red Series at the end of the episode, but obviously the Red Series is the first major step in deciding how their season's going to go. But we're going to shift on over and we're going to discuss some rookie performances, pitching performances like that have buoyed the team. Brandon Fott, Justin Martinez, Slate Ciccone, and Bryce Jarvis, four pitchers that come into mind. So if you look at, uh, so we'll start with Brandon Fott. So last seven starts, 3-5-0 ERA. Last four starts has only allowed one home run. Do you think, and then we mentioned the possibility of Fott becoming the number three starter that the D-backs have been desperately searching for in a past episode. But we're kind of just seeing more of a sample now with Fott showing that he can pitch at this level and not just survive, but also thrive. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's really adjusted to the major leagues. It's just like, you know, I took him a while to really, you know, get a feel for pitching at this level. Um, he he looks like the pitcher he was, like, you know, we, we thought you know, his potential was as a prospect. He's uh, looking like at least a middle rotation starter. He maybe has a higher ceiling than, uh, than you know, what we projected. I mean... I think most people were looking at him as like the like maybe a fourth or fifth starter most likely scenario. I think that's uh, or even like middle rotation is what we were talking about at the beginning of the year for him. I think he might have a higher ceiling than that because he's dominated. I mean, he's absolutely I mean, he's throwing. Uh, kept a no hitter into the seventh. He's had a one hitter outside of a home run. That's not uh, really middle rotation stuff, you know. From my experience, that he's looking more like a like a Zach Gallen than I than Zach Davies. Yeah, so looking so. at so yeah, I'm not sure if Baseball Reference has it does not yeah, have a plus deep. stat. All right, that doesn't matter then. But uh, and then you, it's but I really I think that he's. Like he's, I, I, he's really has finally adjusted. I think this is like one of those little lucky kind of, you know, hot streaks the pitcher can get on where they, they have some good outings. I mean, he looks like a legitimate, uh, kind of front of the rotation starter to me. What do you think? I would say front of the rotation is probably a little bit too ambitious uh, projection. I think for right now, you look at a guy. Okay, proof fastball, improved fastball command. I think. I don't think he's going to be in a situation where his fastball is going to get completely crushed, but it's not necessarily a swing and miss pitch like it is for gallon as the, as he did to the Rangers Tuesday night, but fast. He's got enough command of the fastball that he can avoid the middle of the plate and has shown uh, the sweeper still could probably see some more improvement. I think sometimes it can float to the plate and then there are times where it just snap as that it just snaps. And of course, when it has yeah. that when snap feel to it, that's when you see the swings and misses. And then the curveball has been a very good surprise pitch. I think teams have been having difficulty like difficulty with it because it has such a lot of light break on it, and it also kind of has that snap to it. It's a really good pitch against left-handers where you throw it to the back door or to the back foot. And when he's got a really good feel for that pitch, it's a swing-and-miss pitch, whereas otherwise it's probably more of a get-me-ahead, get-me-ahead-in-the-count get type pitch. I think the key for uh, him to be able to the key for him to be able to hit his ceiling is going to be the development of the changeup. Yeah, and that's a pitch that hasn't been there for him on a consistent basis, and based on results, it really hasn't been there that much. If you look at Fott's left-right splits, which I'm going to pull up here, I mean. As far as that goes, it doesn't surprise me that that's his like least developed pitch because he's basically been pitching at a, at a uh, where he has a. It's gonna be like it's really hard to develop your changeup in uh, in Reno or Albuquerque or Salt Lake City. Ball doesn't quite break, and, and you have to you know work on your other pitches. I think he can develop that into. Uh, you know, a much better pitch. Uh, I don't know if he's going to do that this year, but he, I think he can do it off over the off. I think he it really is a promising future uh, going forward. Like, I mean, it's just, like you said, uh, just the, the, and just like the, the movement on his pitches, uh, but just the, 
he when he's his stuff is working he's got fantastic control like he really paints the, the corners of the strike zone and it's i uh, i definitely think some of it's aided by like jose herrera's framing or uh gabby moreno's framing um, actually neither catcher rates well in framing hmm that's interesting but i, I do think that the, that uh to some extent like yeah, like who you're, who's catching you does uh, he's done better having uh, Jose Herrera. Did he have Carson Kelly catching his starts? I don't. We could look sure up catch, did, by catcher. Yeah, I'm gonna check that because I think that might have been a factor having Kelly uh, catch his games. Oh, there's still a lot of noise in this one, but obviously three starts with Herrera at ERA of nine six four. Yeah, Carson Kelly, but also Herrera started Fott's major league debut. That was uh fifteen strikeouts, three walks. So yeah. Herrera must Herrera I also think caught the no almost no hitter. Or no. Yeah. No, he caught the, well, I think I mean, that or the game in San Francisco. I think he caught the game in San Francisco. Well, I'm pretty sure his catcher ERA was much, much, much higher uh prior to this. But yeah, no, it's uh out of the three of them, I think yeah, I think Moreno has just I don't know if there's like any anything to that, but I think that just having him back in uh, on the team helps. He's it's kind of there is a difference there, but uh, Foss has really been an asset. I mean, some of these these young pitchers like uh, Bryce Jarvis has really stepped, you know, taken a step forward. Uh, Slade Tony's had a you know also taken a step forward. It's really it's more than just Brian Fox. It's uh a lot of these young guys have like really like taken that next step that they needed to, that we needed to see because like, I mean, it, like it, you kind of almost write off uh, pitching prospects, not just, not just the diamondback pitching prospects, but in general, you, you tend to write them off. And like a lot of these guys have looked really great scouting reports and good minor league statistics. Like you look at Bot coming up through the minors, like we talked about, he absolutely dominated in some really tough environments. I mean, like dominated, uh, yeah, there was an ERA or two in Reno last year or something like that, like, which is just nuts. Or, like, I know an ERA, or one of the two levels, he had this, uh, he had the lowest ERA, I know, in, in the in the league, one of the lowest in the minors. Uh, you don't. Yeah, it, last year, he had 2.63 ERA and 10 starts with Reno. And then okay, this year, yeah. it's a 3.71. And that's much lower than everybody else in comparison. Yeah, that's that's what I'm. It's just one of those things that uh, you can't necessarily. Where was it? I think it's one of the. Where was I? I think it might have actually been like a partial, one of those partial seasons. Amarillo, prior to the promotion arena, he was absolutely not. I don't think he had a bad start in Amarillo at all. So, uh, this is the toughest one. Uh, so I mean, it's just not—it's not a surprise that he's been able to, like, you know, be, be the pitcher that he's been in these last few starts. Um, like I just—I mean, with time, I think—I think he has a higher—I think he has a higher ceiling than this middle rotation starter. I'm a little I'm more optimistic about some people, uh, but some tells me this guy can be a lot, like, even better. I think he could be better than Merrill. Ke- I think if he hits the ceiling, he's better than Merrill Kelly, but I don't think he's Zach Gallon. Yeah, no, sir. Yes, yeah, sir. I agree. I agree with you there. I think he's better than Merrill Kelly. I don't know if he'll be better than Zach Allen or as good as Zach Allen. I think he definitely like not be a number two starter. If Fott's a number two starter, obviously, I I think well, it might be by the time Fott hits that number two starter ceiling, obviously the D backs might be having a much different looking rotation. Yeah. I'm not, well, that's definitely a different. To- that's definitely a concern to be addressed a different day. In my opinion, yeah, that's a, that'd be like probably like two or three seasons from now. So it's really actually like it's not going to be the same rotation as you're going to have Zach Allen be gone most likely. Merrill Kelly will be gone most likely. Um, he may be, may hopefully their D backs are, you know, luck into the position of having Brand Fox stepped up in the future to be the ace where Zach Allen was down the road. I think I, I'd say possibility. I, I just, I just don't. I wouldn't rule it out. I, he's he's shown enough uh, to give me confidence, like more confidence in. 
Yeah, if we look at those seven starts, and really that he started getting the ball rolling for the month of August, where he's only once allowed more. When you look at the, and if you look at his last seven starts, only once has he allowed more than three runs in a start, and that came against the Dodgers, and that wasn't necessarily a game he got hit very hard hard either. It was just a lot of lucky, it was a lot of uh, lucky base hits, I guess you can say, but the Dodgers are very good at hitting the ball where they are, where their opponents aren't. But if you look at those six starts, Fott's opponents are hitting 227 against him. He's only got nine walks of 146 batters faced in 36 innings. So you're looking at a guy that has a walk rate of 2.2 per nine and a strikeout rate of nearly nine. Obviously, the home runs hurt his FIP, but if we go to fan graphs, we can look up what the expected number is, although... Fought isn't necessarily a ground ball pitcher. So you got to be careful about using that number. So the Diamondbacks have a new mascot. It's 7-9. Okay, XFIP is 413. From, from Star Trek uh, Voyager. I had to make that. Uh, I totally forgot. Uh, but yeah, 7-9. Uh, what was her name? But yeah. Uh, no, it's, it, it's the Fought's been just... He's been Mark Justin Martinez is the one name we didn't mention out as well as the rookie pitcher that stepped forward. Um, that really, yeah, look, that he's he's really helped just having a guy who like can pitch like that and throw that hard and have that kind of velocity out of the bullpen is something that's missing for a long time. I don't think they've ever had an arm like that. I they have they haven't. Um, I mean, other than Randy Johnson, like the first year they had him. I mean, Martinez's fastball is in the 100th percentile for velocity. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the kind of young pitching that like really, that that's really where like you're, we're seeing these, like I'm going to talk about Justin Martinez a year ago. I remember like we were writing about him and it's just seeing, seeing him now on the major league team throwing a hundred mile per hour gas. Uh, you know, basically looks like a, you know, shutdown, uh, uh, you know, either like a shutdown setup man or future closer. Um, that's a, that's something we haven't really, like the bullpen just has been like the real issue as like every D-back fan now. It's like we haven't really had, uh, like Scott McGuff is not a closer. He could be like not- a useful, he can be a useful setup guy. He's not a closer. You shouldn't be relying on a Scott McGuff as a closer. Uh, or there was a, a time where he looked a, like one, but it didn't last. Yeah, the, the Andrew Chafin looked like one for you know a month, but that didn't last. That's what usually happens. Is it's like, oh hey, let's, this guy looks like he could be a closer. He's the closer now, and it's like, no, you need to have that, you know, someone with that extra little bit of oomph that, you know, somebody that actually can either a miss bats or b reduce the quality of contact. And obviously, Martinez yeah. when he's throwing strikes misses bats. Yeah. I mean, and then Seawald's done an, a do, good enough job. He'll usually have a clean inning, or he'll load the base. He'll load the bases and give you a heart attack before getting the job done. Yeah, I have not enjoyed watching Paul Seawald pitch. Um, I'm sorry, uh, but uh, it is not like you know I have an anxiety disorder, so um, you can kind of tell right. That's where I usually turn off the game is like after the starters come in and I'm like, oh, it's Scott McGuff. Oh, it's Seawald. I'll just watch the, the on game day to watch the end of it. It's like it gives me a heart attack every time. It's like, yeah, we won, but was was it worth the cost, Michael? The worth the anxiety. I'd rather have like good bullpen you arms. Can, like I mean, I know you can't just get Mariano Rivera and like, reincarnated. I mean, the thing with Seawald is you kind of know by the first batter if he's got it or not. If his sweeper looks flat yeah. and he's struggling to locate it arm side, throwing that back door, back door to lefties, or if he's uh has poor fastball command, or the first bat, or the first batter tags a baseball, you know you're in for a bumpy ride. And of course, yeah. Uh, all of the above last night, struggled to locate, and then uh, early, and then he threw a ball out over the plate and Simeon hit it, hit a 
rocket to the right center field gap, and Alec Thomas made the yeah. best catch of the year. Although I call BS on a sixty-five percent catch probability. Yeah, that doesn't I seem saw, right. I saw that. Uh, it doesn't doesn't seem right. But you have to put this clip in right here. Zacchaeus has a six, um, 65%, which I don't he buy. Has, he, uh, yeah, last night was not, no, no, it wasn't last night. His last really bad outing was on the 15th, where he gave up uh, three hits. And, uh, well, well, I mean, against the Rangers in the second game, he gave up, uh, what was it? Well, gave Colorado, up, so it is. Got squeezed. Uh, you got Borla. There were pitches that were just off the plate that were called correctly, and Alfonso Marquez called a very good strike zone that on Tuesday. Like I think up scorecards gave him like a ninety-six. I mean, a ninety-seven accuracy, ninety-eight consistency. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at his stats on B-Rock of his last few outings, and it's uh, I mean, he's gotten better as he progressed. But yeah, there's sometimes where you watch him and he's a little a little rough. I don't know if I. Uh, Three of his last five outings, he's loaded the bases. I think that that we we gave up a little too much for this guy, but, I mean, he's under control for next season. Um, He's good enough. If not, actually, I mean, if Justin Martinez can step up and, uh, like, you know, show the consistency, I would would prefer having Martinez as the closer next season over Seawald and having Seawald set up for Martinez. Uh, I don't – I mean, with Martinez, you're going to probably see a case where he has – Three very good outings and then one not so good outting. As you look at yeah. his uh since he's come up his last Let's four see. games. What? What? If you look at his August, he has obviously two two of those runs came in one outing, and I feel like uh it partially isn't his fault. Because I felt like in that situation that Martinez was a better fit to face Seeger and Lowe than oh, yeah. Kyle Nelson. Because those two oh, runs yeah, scored but... after he left the game, but they were both in scoring position when Seeger hit a single. Yeah, I both. actually that's not really his fault. Um I mean I would still try I still think one run would be his fault, but uh no, not, not all of them. I don't know. I got it with like, Mike Martinez sometimes. It's a sometimes you can overmanage it, but if it's and it's a situation where you have Seeger with a base open, if he walks Seeger, then you pull him. Yeah, but there's still that one at bat. But then you also look at it, there's that one at bat that kind of gets away where he, the GPS is broken, like the walk to uh, the first batter he faced in that game, which was Ezekiel Duran. He walked on four. I think he walked on either four or five pitches. It was a pretty bad. They were pretty bad misses. So that's kind of the thing that's still holding him back. He kind of has that one at bat where he needs to lock in, and that's not what you can have in the back. That's not what you want in the back end of the bullpen right now. Yeah, no, I mean, he's not ready. He's not ready for that yet. Uh, he does have the stuff to be that down the road. I mean, I'm looking at his. Uh, I mean, he looks much better now than he did in July. Um, that's that's the main thing. He looks much better now, much better than he did in spring training. Um. I mean, I, I, it's, it's something you really have to like. It's just gonna take time with them, especially like guys who throws that hard. Like, yeah, there's gonna be out. He does not have it. He may not be a fit for, you know, closer. He might actually be better as the other way around. Like, you know, I still think he is. I think he is too, but it's a possibility. Well, you kind of have to work him up in there. Like Andres Munoz didn't become the uh, Mariners closer overnight either. To try and tie in uh, Seawald in. Closers and his former team. Yeah, I mean it's. I mean it's. I'm not gonna like. I can't complain much more when we actually have like somewhat reliable bullpen arms. You know, like yeah. I, I we we he <laughs> he's the games that he's appeared in last five of them he's won. So um, like we won the games. That's what matters. Last four games, the D-backs are four and zero. So, 
What have your been? What have your early impressions of Sacconi been? Um, I mean he's he's got really. I haven't actually like watched his like full starts the last two of them, but I've I've you know looked at the box work. He looks. He seems like he has much better control than he's than he's had in the past. He seems to be. Um, I like him better than Ryan Nelson. Um, he's proven that as far as that goes. Um, I have not. Yeah, when I look at here, I have not looked at his, his stat, is his uh, stats, and recently, so I have to like have a frame of reference here. Um, yeah. The f- Obviously, the thing I like about Sacconi is his secondary stuff is very good. At least the curveball and the slider are very good. However, the thing that worries me is his fastball has been hammered, but the results as the results are been fortuitous. I suppose you can say his fastball is averaging an exit velocity against of ninety five point four miles per hour, but his slider has has a. Uh, much lower exit velocity and the whiff rate of thirty over thirty percent. So his best pitch is played up at this level so far. Well, yeah, I mean the slider was his best pitch. Like we knew that was his best pitch. Um, it's much better pitch. I mean, way better than I than I anticipated. Uh, I did not. That his fastball being so hittable is a little alarming to me. I'm not really sure. Like his his peripheral statistics show, like he, I mean, his FIP is a full two runs higher than than his ERA. His xFIP is even higher than that. Um, I think part I expect, of the thing is I, he's not striking guys out. Yeah, I mean that's that's gonna catch up to him at some point. Um, I hope that the you know that the, there can be some progression to be. Some progressions made because, uh, yeah, like his numbers do not inspire confidence for the future. Like looking at him, his batting average of ball plays, balls and plays were really low. Um, I mean, you could succeed not striking out a ton of guys. Um, it's weird that his strikeout rate's so low. I mean, it's uh, much lower than his career. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, I'll he's, put he's that. striking out four, four, as far as K9 goes, uh, 5.28 per, per K9, and he was averaging above eight, like nearly nine. I mean, 8.81, 8. I would call that like nine. Um, he, he was out of the I think his strikeout rate should go up. It's weird that he's not. I think it comes like, down to how the rate that he was. I think also kind of the usage is kind of too fastball heavy. Sacconi's fastball to me is a average quality pitch, whereas his sliders is one plus pitch. So it kind of worries me a little bit that he's a bit fastball dominant. And that's kind of the same issue that Ryan Nelson had, Brandon Fott had earlier when he was getting beat. Of course, now Fott's incorporating more second, more of a secondary stuff. I th- and in Sacconi's case, I think he needs to throw throw more sliders. In my opinion, if I were to rank the fastballs of the D backs top, uh. Between Nelson, Jarvis, Sacconi, and Nelson, I would probably go Fott 1, Nelson 2, Jarvis 3, and then Sacconi 4. Sacconi has the most hittable fastball before, in my opinion. But He's throwing 58.3% fastball, which is way too much. You're actually spot on there. He's throwing a slider 20, like, like just under 29% of the time. Um, I mean, sometimes it's not always like those pitch types don't, you know, register as affecting, but still, that is way too high of usage of the, the of the fastball if it's you know that hittable. I really, you're onto something there. Um, that's uh, quite that's actually that's pretty significant. Quite. I also like to remark that Sacconi's only thrown 228 major league pitches, so we'll yeah. chart that to small sample size for now. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, that's the same thing with Jarvis gonna, too. Yeah, Bryce Jarvis. I, uh, I, I think he's going to be a guy that like kind of needs to grow in the major leagues. 
I don't know if he can really learn all that much in, in Reno at this point. Yeah. Here's an interesting comp for Bryce Jarvis that I have. This is the picture D-backs saw recently. I think the similar, similar to John Gray, I don't think Jarvis doesn't necessarily throw as hard, but he's a guy that can't necessarily has a low spin fastball. And it's like the fastball is more of a fastball, more of a show me thing as opposed to, and then using the slider as a weapon, which is what Gray did against the Diamondbacks on Tuesday. That was something I noticed and it worked for quite a bit. But then when he had trouble throwing strikes and the batters adjusted to it is when they got to him. For Jarvis, that's your, your, that's, your that's one way to fix that. That's one way he could be successful. Basically. That's what I'm comparing to, but I'm, yeah, well, Jarvis does have a better ch- Jarvis actually has a legitimately good change up. Unlike yeah, Gray. I think, yeah. I think he's could That's kind of a, I could see him succeeding some way. I mean, I can see what you're saying there. Um, like yeah, Grace had some good seasons, so I mean that's not it's not like a terrible comp. I I can see that. Yeah, if you get John Grace career like, out of Bryce Jarvis, that's a that's a huge win. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I I think I think he would take that as a major league career. Um, I think no, I don't know. I think he would. I think he'd want to do better than that. Um, yeah, no, like Jarvis is really. I have not, I mean, I've only seen him pitch three innings, what I've seen. So I don't even have to, like, I was impressed. Um, but, um, it, you know, it's not enough. There's not enough, you know, to, to know what you really have there. I mean, uh, Jarvis has good results so far, but he can always regress. I, it's just one of those things, like, he's, he's, he did, he looks way better than he did at Reno. I don't think the, his, his, his pitches work in Reno. Like it's I mean, if, work in the I mean, if you look at uh, John Gray's career, Kurt Gray is an above average starter for quite a long time. It's just hard to look at that ERA, but you have to remember he's pitching for the, he was pitching for the Rockies. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, he, yeah. John Gray is one of like five pitchers who's, who's like had like any kind of career come up through the, the, the Rockies farm system. Like Baldo Jimenez, John Gray. Um, Kyle Freeland. I, yeah, and then there's like I think I'm forgetting probably. Marquez was a guy they traded as a prospect. Denny Nagel. I don't know. That's an old one. I mean, yeah, the, the the Rockies. Uh, who did who did they draft this year? Which pitcher was it? Chase Dollander. Yeah, Dollander is gonna have a terrible time. Um, Nagel didn't do too great in Colorado. If that's what you're asking. Yeah. <laughs> His best year in the yeah, ERA of five two six. He got arrested. Uh, is why I bring him up is he's actually more famous for getting arrested for uh, solicitation while in, in in Colorado than anything. So I throw that there as a joke for people who like are old and might get that reference, but probably not. Now they'll look it up and they'll be like, "Oh, Danny Danny Nangle arrest," and they'll be googling it. Next, moving on. So let let's move on, indeed, to and we'll do another snapshot of the rookie of the year race. It is still as of this moment Corbin Carroll's award to yeah. lose as he leads National League rookies in average WAR at four point one, uh, four point two, four point one on Baseball Reference, four point two on Fangraphs. Although the gap has closed with Matt McLean closing in quickly, and of course. Uh, this is before today's game where he hit his home run. But McLean is averaging 4.4 war. So he's within one war of Carroll. And that's definitely a concern, obviously, because yeah. the D-backs would definitely like to have that extra first-round pick in next year's draft since they're not going to be drafting particularly high. And it's that's the plan. If it's Matt McLean steals it because uh, we drafted him and he didn't sign and um, it's going to sting if he gets that rookie of the year. Well, fortunately, so I, Carroll's I think, been yeah, heating Carroll's, up of late. Yeah, uh, yeah, Carroll seems like he's finally getting past the, the you know, dog days of summer where your you know, body just starts crapping out on you. Um, yeah. And the rookie wall, whatever you want to call it, he seems to be moving past it. 
Rookie Will Dog uh, Days of Summer. Max effort player runs out of energy. Needs to recharge. Yeah, yeah that's exactly that's exactly it with him. I think he's turning a corner here. Matt McLean looks like uh, a guy who's due for some regression. Um, so yeah. Yep. Like so, if you look at Carroll's last three starts, he's seven for his last 12 at the plate. And then he had a, he popped out in a pinch hit appearance on Monday night. Like I said, seven hits in his seven hits in his last four games, the last 13 at bat. So you're hoping that Carroll can start bouncing back and get that, or at least try and stay pace with McLean. Cause if the rate stats yeah. are similar, like if OPS plus is similar, Carroll's going to win on volume and base running. I mean, that's actually pretty much the case. The one, the one area where uh, Corbin has a clear advantage is stolen bases. Uh, they both have been caught stealing five times, but uh, Corbin has stolen thirty-eight. Matt McLean's only stolen eleven, and that's just like a, such a low success rate that like, that really like hurts his value. And then rate stats, like uh, I think Corbin's got what twenty more home runs on him. No, ten, wait, he's got 10 more runs in him? I think. No, it's six. Carol hasn't hit a home run since July 23rd. Yeah. I believe. Well, maybe, maybe, uh, if he can, like, hit some home runs, then he'll probably get it. Especially if so, he can, uh, I mean, right now, I mean, he's got the 2020, just, he's, he's a member of the 2020 club. Which is, you know, good rookie year. Yeah, Carroll, if he can get to 25 homers, would be the second Dimeback to have 30 steals and, tw- I mean, sorry, 25 homers and 20 steals, 25 steals. The other player to do it was Chris Young. I mean, he could end up with, uh, I think he'll probably, I, I think Corbin could steal another 12 bases and make it. 50 if he did 20 i think he could be 25 50 easily um if he gets in a really hot streak 30 50 would be like yeah i think he gets the rookie of the year right there yeah, you look at right ne- look at it right now in terms of ops plus they are right neck and neck with each other obviously yeah. the raw counting stats are going to favor mclean because his home ballpark is a band box whereas chase field plays pretty neutral well, in the combination Plays pretty neutral now. And then you look at the counting stats. Obviously, Carroll's going to win on counting stats. But one thing you note, West did note it. Note before I cut him off, uh, McLean is possibly due for regression. One thing to note is his balls in play average to maintain a 295 batting average with a strikeout rate above 28%. His balls in play average is 395. And as we know, 395 isn't sustainable over the course of the year. So we ask ourselves when, if, or when does it begin? And this is something you want to delve into first? Well, I mean, we we play Cincinnati uh, the, the next series. Uh, there's, there's, I mean, it, the Diamondbacks need to shut down Matt McClain when he, when he comes into town with the Reds. Like, they're really, uh, he's one of the key threats on that team. Uh, Ellie De La Cruz is not. Like a lot of the guys we were talking about earlier in the year for the the Reds have not been as good as you would they would like. I mean, they still are a very good team, but shutting down Matt McClain is going to be key. Uh, well, at the same time, you know, Carroll get get his own back going. Um, I just pull right. up stats right now. So if- I don't know who else is on that team that to to even talk about. So yeah, we'll look, I have not looked at the pitching probables yet for the series for the reds. We know who the Diamondbacks will throw out there. I'm just checking to see who has been their most impressive player players on the position player side. So obviously if you look at the reds and we're going to pull this up, McLean's been their best player in terms of baseball reference wins above replacement. But let's go above average. So their next best player has been uh, 
TJ Fradel, who's been a solid center fielder for them, above average yeah. across the board. Jake Fraley. I don't think Fradel gets enough credit for how the Reds have done this year. Oh, I know Spencer Steer. <laughs> That's the one guy I knew on the team. Yeah, remember when Spencer Steer was a legitimate rookie of the year candidate? Yeah, he's fallen back significantly. Good. He's just an he's a above average player, but not much more than that. And then uh actually I'm trying to think. The Reds have a lot of rookies on that team. That's too, uh, I've been saying this for a while. Is that could split the vote because it's not everyone agrees with like who's the best rookie on that team. Oh, it's They're McLean. Not, if it's McLean, then yeah, sure. But I it does happen. There may be some other sports writers that disagree with us and think like, oh, Spencer Sears is shit. I'm gonna Yay. say this. Na- I'm gonna say this now, and I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this. But uh, if Ellie De La Cruz gets a first place vote in the Rookie of the Year race, I seriously would consider removing voting privileges for whoever does it. Yeah, he's been a below average hitter. Like he's 94. I mean, it's he's flat. like one good game away from becoming average. Well, is he a rookie? No, it said he exhausted it last year. But basically, they have a. They have a very young team, the Reds do. Yeah. But a very talented young team. Oh my god, you know, Will if Will Benson uh didn't exhaust his his eligibility last year, he would be in that that mix. It would nah, he's still he's kinda far behind. He's just, he's just simple. Well, I mean if you look at his WRC plus, like he's in a, he's the the second uh best hitter on that team. And if you look at that Reds uh you look at that Reds uh Pitching staff. It's another young pitching staff. Alexis yeah. Diaz obviously is the most known name because he made the All Star team as a closer, and then of course, Foolish ba- uh, Base. Uh, actually, it was under his Foolish Bailey account, but made a video about why Diaz with average stuff. Uh, uh, I know it's gonna say average stuff, and I'm put stuff in quotation marks. So I'm holding a pair of scissors, but average stuff in quotation marks is unhittable, basically, and that's uh. That's a fun story. That's a fun video to watch. It's a lesson on attack angles and how pitchers come. Arm angles, attack angles, and then Diaz allows his stuff to play up because of the lower arm angle. And you look at the rest of their team. Andrew Abbott has been probably their best pitching prospect in terms of getting results yeah. early on. I mean, Hunter Green has, was a high prospect, but he hasn't really lived up to results. Um, yeah, I don't even see Green on this page. Where it wins above average. I think he's. I think he'd be injured. No, he just came off the IL. Okay. Um, We'll pull up. We'll pull up the probables. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Williamson. Yeah, so probables Thursday. Brandon Williamson versus Merrill Kelly. Because they they flip flopped. uh, They flip flopped uh, Kelly and fought. Probably set up the rotation for both the Dodgers and the Orioles series to have Kelly pitch in L.A. Have Gallon pitch both L.A. and Baltimore. So, number two, Brett Kennedy, 29-year-old. Is he rookie rookie eligible? Let's look at the stats. Yeah, he's up there. I mean, I'm looking up. I got Brett Kennedy versus Brandon Fott. Graham Ash, uh, Ashcraft. And then Saturday's game is Hunter Green versus Zach Davies. And then Sunday is Graham Ashcraft versus Slate Sacconi. So no gallon in the Red Series. As a heads up, but they were not, they're not exactly throwing out their best pitchers either. So, um, I mean, yeah, there's no. no reason why they can't beat the Reds. The Reds, uh, we have better, like, as far as the rest of their the rotation goes. I mean, I think our also-ran starters are better than their also-ran starters. Um, some of these people, like, they look very due for uh, some work. I mean, even if we were facing Andrew Rabbit, he looks like he's... No, I was not pitching. Work. He looks like he's due for some regression. Um Alexis Diaz looks like he's due for regression. Um, I mean, there's definitely some luck. Uh, 
some guys have had some lucky years. I think the Reds, yeah, Matt McClain's going to come back to Earth. Hopefully they, we can shut him down. Um, as far as that lineup goes, uh, I mean, the thing is, like, these young these young guys are so, like, they can be real streaky. Just in general, yeah, like, the, yeah, very unpredictable. Much streaky. Yeah, it's very unpredictable. And it's, uh, oh, they have our old friend Stuart Fairchild playing for them. Um, remember when he was a D-backs prospect? Yeah. And then, of course, they got Joey Votto, but Joey Votto is uh, he's at the end of his career, and he's just, like, um, just doing Votto things now. Yeah, he's basically on bench. Uh, the most, the highest paid bench player in baseball. He's a he's been an average, at least an average hitter this year, which I, you know, give him credit. He's my age. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, to hold his own, uh, oh, he's older than me, actually. He's almost, I think he's going to turn oh, 40. Soon. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he turns 40 on the 10th of September. So, my God, good for you, Joey. Um, that's, yeah, the Red they, they should be able to shut down this team. I mean, what's your prediction for the series? I think they. I think it's a three of fourth. I think D backs, if they continue that streak, will go three and four. Three of four, get their fifth series win while they would lose the season series to the Reds. That's you push them two games back. Now they're a game and a half behind. Now you put a game and a half behind yeah. you, but they have to win three of four, in my opinion, to keep their momentum going. Not just because yeah. it's to win a series, but also to put some distance. The sweep yeah, is probably do. too difficult to ask for, especially when you have Davies pitching on Saturday, yeah, and that's games a crapshoot at best. Three or four is probably uh, that would be an optimistic outcome. Uh, I, I probably they'll probably split. I mean, realistically, they'll probably split it. I would um, hate the idea of a split. Yeah, because that's mis- that's like a miss no, that's no, a missed opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. You, you really do. It's a it's a must. Really, they need to they need to take three or four to to continue. Yeah. I mean, maintain the momentum, uh, put some distance. I mean, if they could sweep the series, that basically like the Reds are not much never, of a threat from them. Yeah, you never know what you're gonna get when you have a young pitching staff facing a young lineup, and vice versa. Yeah. I mean, that, oh wait, that no. Would put, that would put yeah. Cincinnati back uh, two and a half games from the Diamondbacks, or three and a half. No, that's if they lose. D-backs sweep the Reds. They would be up three and a half games on Cincinnati if that happened. But I don't. Okay, so yeah, but that's again too much have, to ask for. I mean, if if that happened, that's like okay. Obviously, best case scenario. I mean, that's how the D-backs need to look at this. Is like okay, we can put this team to bed for the rest of the season. But Cincinnati has a pretty difficult schedule. I th- the Reds, I think, have a difficult schedule. Yeah, they, considering I, the fact they're I, in the I, NL Central. Pull up their schedule. So looking I at think, the Phillies are just gonna be the one team that's gonna be hard to catch. Like they have the easiest schedule out of of all the teams that are ahead of us. I mean, I, I look through the rest of their schedule. It's like they play the Padres again, and then they play the Mets to close out the year. Um, the, the Phillies are gonna be really hard to catch. So, like, so after the D backs, the Reds travel to San Francisco. So maybe the Giants will get good for a series instead of their fall off the map two games two games against the and then chicago like cincinnati's in a tough meat grinder starting tomorrow so d-backs giants d-backs for four giants for three cubs for four seattle for three so that's that's uh what 14 games against teams against yeah that's a, um, so Cincinnati's already got a tough grind, and they get St. Louis and Detroit. Although who knows with the Cardinals, this is a division game, so you can't necessarily predict how that's going to go. Yeah. I'm, then they I get mean, a little bit of a breather against Detroit and then the Mets, but then Minnesota. After that, then they play Pittsburgh again, a division series. So you can't really predict how that goes. Do you expect the Pirates to play a little bit tougher than normal? Then they get a couple games against Cleveland, and Cleveland's a team I can't figure out. Well, actually, I can't. And then they finish at St. Louis, and the Cardinals are going to be looking to salvage whatever season they have left. So, that, like I said, Cincinnati, the hardest part of Cincinnati's schedule is their next 14 games, which, like the D-backs, uh, those set of games are going to define their season. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's really that's where they're... 
that's really where they're at now. I mean, uh, the, my point, like, if they can, I would say that the Reds are done if they get swept by the D-backs. Yeah, that would put the what would that put the Reds based on that two games over. Yeah, yeah, they would be. I would assume the teams, the other teams, can. They, I mean, they can gain ground too, so it might not just be multiple games back from the D-backs. Then they are even more games back from the Phillies and even more games back from the Cubs. So, um, I mean, that's how the that's what the D-backs can do. They handle business, put them to bed, sweep them, sweep the Reds. Yeah, if we look at the playoff odds page on Baseball Reference, I'm going to put on here. Close it out, obviously. Uh, oh, Baseball Reference is buying on the D-backs now. <laughs> so in terms of hardest schedule remaining. Huh. I guess the Reds are considered negative because the card. I guess the Cardinals... They have games against teams near the bottom of their division. I guess that's how it goes. But I still think Cincinnati's schedule is harder than it looks on paper. D-backs, pretty much their strength, the hardest part of their schedule is going to be over by September 3rd. And that's when you have a chance to stack up wins afterwards, and that's kind of the comparison. The Giants have it rough. The Giants have the hardest remaining schedule of the nationally contenders left. Sandgrass has uh, D backs at 45.6 odds. Uh, Giants at 52. I'm not, I'm like I said, I don't understand why teams are buying on San Francisco. They look, they look like the weakest team in there, but I digress. Yeah. I don't think that they're going to hold on to that. Play. I mean, the, the new thing is we can take those two games against the, the Giants and like they're one less team to worry about because basically the distance between us and them. So, um, I mean, they're really, this is great. The Diamondbacks are in great position to hopefully we, we can be talking about them in the playoffs. All right. So thanks everyone for watching today's episode. Be back after the D-backs to find after the aftermath of probably their biggest series of the year coming on Monday. Make sure, if you're watching on YouTube, to hit that subscribe button. Leave a like, comment down below. If you think the D-backs can take three of four or better against the Cincinnati Reds this weekend. So any final words before we go, Wes? Don't forget to hit that notification bell so you get reminded of our newest videos. Um, Not really. I mean, like, this is, like I'm pretty happy with the deep team and i'm just like looking forward and see you know what happens yeah and with notifications not just the podcast episodes but other additional upload content like shorts with justin martinez short or we're gonna do we'll talk about a rumor of the d-backs being linked to a pitcher out of japan in a separate video as well be be on the alert look out for that